And I want you, as we begin today's sermon, first of all, what a great, great, great skit to add to the message. Just give Blaine another round of applause. It's not just Blaine. We have others involved in our skits. And if you want to help with the skit, um, with the skit ministry, uh, see Lynn Raboski. Our worship design team has been meeting uh, monthly. We're meeting again this Tuesday at 6 o'clock. And we're talking about how to include things like skits and things like that in the worship service to bring home the message, take home the message, to minister and things like that. And I'm grateful for the worship design team. I'm grateful for the skits. And this is another plug. We're going to have a couple appearances of Joseph. On the Christmas Day message. So the Christmas Day, well, the whole worship service. Within the worship service and the message, a couple appearances of Joseph. So if you're in town, I know some of you are traveling and have family activities to be at. But if you don't, I'd love to see you Christmas Day. I want to invite you to grab a Bible, either the Bible you brought with you or a pew Bible in front of you. I want you to hold it in the air and repeat after me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can. Today I will be taught the word of God. I'll boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible. Indestructible, Indestructible. ever-living, seed of the Word of God. God. I'll never be the same. same. You can put your Bibles down and you can turn to Luke chapter 2 today. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2 here in just a a moment. Luke chapter 2. First, I would like to invite you to close your eyes. For a moment, and then you can open them and find Luke chapter 2 if you have not found it yet. But close your eyes, and I want you to listen closely to something right now. Not to that, though. I think Billy's getting something cued for something else, but just testing you. Close your eyes, listen closely. What sound do you hear? What is that sound? That's a bell, right? And in, when you hear a bell rings, an angel gets his... No, I'm just kidding. When you hear a bell rings, when you hear a bell rings, what causes the bell to ring? A door opening. Sometimes a door opening. In this instance, when you hear the bell ring, what causes the sound? The thing in the middle, Right? The clanger, the thing in the middle, the sound of the bell is coming from something internal. The sound of the bell is coming from something inside the bell. But as you've already noticed, the shaking is what causes it. The shaking causes the internal to come out. But the ultimate sound is from something inside. And so it is the same with us. If you're here and you're a Christian and you're a believer in Jesus, you have Jesus inside of you. We have Jesus inside of us. And as we have Jesus inside of us, 
the joy that Jesus brings is inside of us. And we're going to talk about exactly that here in just a moment. The joy that Jesus brings, the joy that Jesus gives for the whole world. And as we begin this, I want to bring up the Advent candle. This is the third Sunday of Advent, and the candle is the candle of joy. The candle of joy. For many in this world, joy may be far away. They stand alone, uncertain, lost, and confused. There's no security in their lives. There's no joy. There's no knowledge of Jesus. But we can share our hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. We can let others know of the joy that comes through Christ, that no one needs to be alone and joyless. We light the candle of joy, and we invited Kevin to come up and light that. And as you know, uh, Kevin is Kevin and Wendy are youth pastors and if you come out on a Saturday night and you see the kids playing games or on Wednesday night, Saturday night's their game night, you hear joy. And Jesus is the hope of the world and Jesus brings us ultimate joy. Thank you, Kevin, for lighting that. We can, we as Christians, though, because of the Holy Spirit who's within us, we can be hope and we can be joy because of Jesus. In this time of Advent, we know that we have the promise of the hope of the world. Today, my theme is Jesus came and he brought joy. Jesus came and he brought joy. And if you're not, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read this passage. Luke 2, we're going to read verses 8 through 14. Verses 8 through 14. You can turn in the, the Bibles you brought with you or on your phone or on your tablet or on your pew Bible, in, a, in the pew Bible. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read from verses 8 through 14. As I said, this is the angels coming and the angels seeing the shepherds. Listen closely. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great, what is it? Great joy, great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And they were praising God and they were saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We see this joyful, this exuberant, this exciting, this passionate passage. This is the birth of Jesus. This is the change in history. Do you realize that up until a couple hundred years after the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, up until like 500 AD, they kept time differently. At the time of Jesus' birth, they kept time from the beginning of Rome. How do we keep time now? They changed it, didn't they? B.C., A.D., or B.C.E., C.E., B.C., before Christ, A.D., the year of our Lord is Latin, Anno Dominio. B.C.E., before Common Era, you're trying to say now, C.E., Common Era, Everything, even if they try to take Christ out of it, still everything changed based off the birth of Christ. Everything changed. 
And right here, the shepherds are out in their field and the angels come to the shepherds and they're declaring everything's changed. Everything's different. Let's look at the context of this passage. Jesus has been born. Kind of alluded to that already. We'll talk about that passage on Christmas Eve night. We'll talk about the birth of Jesus on Christmas Eve night. We'll talk about the birth from Mary's perspective. Because in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we see the birth of Jesus through Mary's perspective. In Matthew, it's about Joseph's perspective. Jesus has been born. The shepherds out in the field. And the angels come to visit the shepherds. Angel. The Hebrew word is Moloch. It's Moloch. And it simply means messenger. It may refer to a human messenger or a divine messenger. The basic meaning of the word is one who is sent. These angels are sent by God to give a message. A message of good news, of great joy for all people. A message that the Savior has been born. A joyful message. That word for angel is found 103 times. Moloch is found 103 times in the Old Testament. The Greek word is angelos, and it occurs 175 times in the New Testament. It's only used six times for men. All the other times is referring to a divine messenger, a messenger from God. A messenger from God. The shepherds are in the same region. They're out in the fields. They're out for the purpose of watching their flock by night. A lot of studies have been done on shepherds. Some like to say things like shepherds were lower class during that time period. They were not looked upon favorably. And I've said that before. And then over the last few years, I realized that was looking at European views of shepherds and also Egyptian views of shepherds. And there are some notes about shepherds from much later hundreds of years later, that looked down upon shepherds. We don't necessarily know that they were looked down upon at this time, though. Also, it does appear that it's quite likely these shepherds were not guarding any flock. I mean, they were guarding a flock, but it wasn't just any old flock. They're guarding the flock of the sheep that would later be used for temple sacrifice. These shepherds are guarding the flocks that were to be used for sacrificial offerings. Isn't that interesting? I love that. These shepherds are out in the field nearby the birth of Jesus, and they're guarding the flocks that will later be sacrificed, and the angels come to these shepherds to give word of the birth of the ultimate Savior, the birth of the ultimate sacrifice. Verse 8 tells us the place. Verse 9 is about to tell what happens. This is all happening simultaneously to the previous verses. Jesus has been born, and it seems at the same time as his birth, Or right after his birth, God sends angels. An angel and then many angels. They appear suddenly. Imagine that. You're doing your business, going about your work. This was a shepherd's job. You're going about your work, whatever you do. Maybe you're an accountant. Maybe you're in sales. Maybe you're a homemaker. Maybe you're retired but you're still volunteering somewhere. And all of a sudden, out in the air, boom, you see an angel. That's what happened here. It just comes right, this angel, this special messenger of the Lord comes out of nowhere. 
to give this awesome, powerful message. And the first angel is an angel of the Lord. There's debate about what this angel of the Lord is. Some would say in the Old Testament, many times when you see angel of the Lord, it is referring to an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament called a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate, meaning pre-birth appearance of Jesus because Jesus' beginning was not right now. Jesus was with God in heaven for all eternity. He's never been born. He's always existent. He's self-existent and he's outside of time. But when he came right now, we're talking about his birth as a human being. So sometimes when we see angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, we think it's Jesus appearing in the Old Testament for a special purpose. And I think that's the case. Or some would say it's a, it's a theophany, an appearance of God in the, a God in human form in the Old Testament. But the scriptures teach in Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 that the visible image of the invisible God is Jesus. Therefore, I think oftentimes when we see angel of the Lord is referring to Jesus. However, in this case, it seems like it's an angel. It's a special angel giving a divine message. You know what's cool? It says the, the angel of the Lord come and it came and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord. What does that mean, the glory of the Lord? One pastor, theologian, R.C. Sproul, makes the case that this is the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament. The angel is bathed in the Shekinah glory. Now, what is the Shekinah glory? You never really see that term appear in Scripture, but it means a, a, a visible presence of God. If you know, in Exodus, we see the, the God was leading the people by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That was the Shekinah glory, the glory of God leading the people in the Old Testament. It seems like that's what's going on here. The Shekinah glory is, is the glory of God. The Shekinah glory, the Hebrew word, it's um, a form that just means he caused to dwell. This is just God's glory, God's presence surrounding the angels right now. God's presence, his glory surrounding the angels right now. And it says the shepherds were terribly frightened. How would you feel? You're going about your business, going about your day. Maybe you're working late at night and all of a sudden you see this angel and you see the glory of God around the angel. I'd be frightened too. When we come into the presence of a visible manifestation of the glory of God, we are convicted of how awesome he is and how little we are. Convicted of our sin problem. What happened to Isaiah 6? You could look that up later. Isaiah is going about his business, the Lord's business in the temple. He's already a prophet of God. He's going about the Lord's business in the temple. And he sees the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. And what is Isaiah, how does he respond? He's terrified. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord. Oftentimes we say we believe in the Lord. We believe in Jesus. We believe the Holy Spirit is with us, but we don't act that way. 
These are real events, real encounters that really happened in Scripture, really happened. They were frightened. The Greek uses the verb for frightened. And once in, um, once as a verb and then also as a noun, describing them as frightened, along with an adjective to describe them as greatly frightened. They weren't just a little bit frightened. They were greatly frightened. They were terrified. You know, the images we have of angels usually are not accurate. The angels were mighty warriors. The angels are mighty warriors doing the Lord's business. Verse 10, the angel now speaks. We're going to come back to verse 10 in a minute. But let's continue the rest of the context real quickly. The angels are telling the shepherds that the Savior has been born. And further, they tell the shepherds where to find the Savior. Isn't that interesting? They say, do not fear. A Savior has been born. And they say, where to find the Savior? You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. There is so, so, so much more there, which we will save for a later time. Then we have this amazing worship of angels. It went from one angel in the sky, or maybe on the ground, to a multitude of angels. Now, We just worship the Lord in song. And we will again in a little bit at the end of the service. We do that every Sunday. Some of you might worship the Lord through the week. I hope we do. We can worship the Lord as we work. We can worship the Lord as we read the scriptures. We might read a passage and think, oh, we have an awesome Lord. And we worship the Lord. We might be listening to Christian music and worship the Lord through that. These shepherds got to witness an angelic worship service. I've had the privilege, and it is a privilege, of standing by the bedside of people when they go from this life to the next. If they're a believer in Christ, you know what's amazing? They're immediately taken to the presence of God Almighty. I've even had somebody point out to me, you know what? They're with the Lord right now. They're in, they're, they're in heaven with the Lord right now, worshiping the Lord right now. Most of us don't get to witness that, this side of eternity, what heavenly worship is. But these shepherds, which were common people, by the way, these shepherds, these common everyday people got to witness this joyful, exuberant worship of God Almighty. They got to witness it. They're just going about their day-to-day business, serving the Lord, guarding the temple flocks that will later be used, probably within a few months, be sacrificed to atone, to pay for, to cover, to take care of the sins of the people. And as they're going about their their day-to-day business, all of a sudden they got this joyful, awesome message from one angel, and then they see a multitude of angels worshiping the Lord. That is powerful. That is awesome. Now back to the message. The angels say they have good news of great joy. Do you realize that? Jesus has come, and this is good news. Good news of great joy. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Notice the modifiers. This isn't just news. This isn't just some news you get on your Twitter feed or social media post or whatever, however you get your news alerts or maybe on the Vindicator in the morning. This is not just any news. I don't know if you notice, most of the time that's bad news. You've heard it. If it bleeds, it leads. 
And a few Christmas Eves ago, I even shared an example of how the news exploits this thing on our, in our brain where our brain is automatically drawn to bad news, negative news. Oftentimes, we don't dwell on the good things. This is good news. This is good news. This is positive. This is life-changing news. For, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And that's our word today, joy. Good news of great joy, great joy. That will be for all the people. Good news of great joy. Jesus' birth. Good news of great joy. Gospel. Many times we say the gospel is what? Good news. Good news. These angels are declaring The gospel, the good news. Jesus' birth did not just bring joy. His birth brought great joy. Where is our joy? I like this illustration that comes from Tony Evans. He says, somebody has come up with a great concept, putting playrooms in doctor's offices. Many parents bring their kids to the doctor because they're sick and they need the doctor to see them. The playrooms are designed to distract the children from the pain of their problem until their problem gets fixed. The playroom gives them joy in a bad situation. The playroom gives the kids joy in a bad situation. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, I've been to Akron Children's a time or two, and now it's usually TVs to try to distract the kids to give them joy in a bad situation. That's the way God works. Even though things may not be going the way we want them to be on the outside, God has designed a playroom in our soul. In the midst of our circumstances, God's joy can distract us from our pain or discomfort until he makes provision for our change or healing. We have the Holy Spirit within us. This is good news, the shepherds are told. Good news of great joy. Now, he says for all people. Oftentimes in Scripture, when you see all, it may not mean all as we think of it. And we have to ask, what does all mean right here? Is this referring to the Jewish people? Is it referring to Gentiles? Later on in Luke's gospel, one theme of Luke is that the alls are for Jews and Gentiles. Luke was written to a non-Jewish audience. He was written to Greco-Roman non-believers and believers. Right here, though, looking at the construction, most would say this is directed at the Jewish people because the Jewish people have been waiting for a Savior. They've been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for the Messiah. They've been going about this sacrificial system. They've been trying to keep the law. They've been seeing the priest and doing all these things. And now, good news of great joy, the Messiah has been born. However, later on, this good news of great joy for the Jewish people becomes good news of great joy for all people because Jesus came for everyone, for us, for all of us. The gospel is good news for all people, and that's what this is. This is great joy, good news of great joy for all people. So let's make some applications. Where is your joy at Christmas time? Where is our joy at Christmas time? I pray and I hope that Jesus brings us great joy, that Jesus for us 
is great joy, good news of great joy. Now, we all certainly have things that bring us down. We all have difficulties, and I hope that we turn to Jesus with them and get the help that he can provide and help from other sources as well. But does our joy at Christmas time come from Jesus, the Savior of the world? Luke chapter 2, verse 10, fits in the broader context of Luke's gospel that Jesus came for Jews and Gentiles alike, that Jesus would later die on the cross for our sins and rise again. Luke's gospel fits in the broader context of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus, the Savior of the world, which fits in the broader context of the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Bible as a whole. And that grand story of the Bible shows the man has fallen, man and woman. Humanity has sinned and sinned against a holy God. God created everything good, creation. But in Genesis 3, sin entered the world. And sin gave us a problem that we could not fix on our own. We couldn't fix it. We could not pay for our sins. So God sent a savior, Jesus. He lived a sinless, a sinless life. You know why we can't pay for our own sins? Because we can't live a sinless life. He lived a sinless life and became our ultimate sacrifice on the, on the cross for our sins. He became our substitute. God poured out his wrath upon Jesus instead of upon you and me and everyone in the world. Death could not contain Jesus. He rose again. He lives victoriously today over the grave. That's a broader story here. Good news of great joy for all people. The Savior had come. The Savior lived for us. The Savior taught for us. But the Savior was not just a great example for us. The Savior was the sin substitute for us, going to the cross for us. Good news, a great joy. Does Jesus give you your hope? And where is that hope? Is it in Jesus in a day-to-day basis? I love Psalm 51, verse 12. In Psalm 51, verse 12, the psalmist pleads, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Does Jesus give us joy? We're saved. We're forgiven. You know how much happens when we're saved? My Sunday school class is dealing with Ask Pastor Steve topics. So for today and last Sunday, we dealt with the very, very, very difficult topic of suicide and salvation. Can a Christian commit suicide and still enter heaven? And I had to begin talking about all this stuff that happens when we're saved. When we are saved, God declares us righteous. You realize that? You're righteous in God's sight because Jesus gives you his righteousness. When you are saved, you are adopted into God's family. The devil can tempt us with whatever he wants, but ultimately, if you are a Christian, you are a child of the Most High God. You're adopted into God's family. You are a child of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You are part of his family. You're adopted into God's family. When you're saved, God is making you more like him as we grow spiritually. He exposes things in our life that are sinful, and he helps us get conquering over them. He helps us not just be forgiven, but stop doing them, whether it's gossip and grumbling and complaining or whether it's another type of temptation. The Holy Spirit 
When we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is amazing. I encourage you, we need to meditate on the awesome things that happen in our life when we're saved. Meditate on that. Think on that. And let God give you joy. The amount of funerals I do as a pastor are in phases. In six years at my last church, I pastored uh, 46 funerals. At one point, I I pastored two in a day. At one point, I pastored... uh, Five within four weeks. I do not know how many I've pastored here, but I do know that over the last several months, I've pastored seven funerals. Most of the time, the deceased is an older believer, and I can declare powerfully that that believer, that individual, is with the Lord in heaven. The difficult funerals are those that I'm unsure about. Once I was at a cemetery, and we're getting ready for the service, and I, I looked in the grave... And it hit me as I looked at the roots. I saw that's where we all end up, but not really. That's just our outer shell. As a Christian, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. The gospel gives us a fuller, complete, abundant life now and eternal life later. And in a way, in a real way, a true way, death is a non-factor. We'll be way, way, way happier when the Lord in his timing calls us home to be with him. Now, we do have a fuller life now because we have the Holy Spirit with us. And we, and we have the word of God and we have the people of God, the church, and the Holy Spirit's working in our life. And then someday God calls us home. I love the quote. I heard it when Billy Graham died, but it didn't originate with him. It originated with D.L. Moody. He said, someday you will hear on the news that D.L. Moody has died. And D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it for a minute. I will be more alive than I ever was before. I will have just changed my address. The gospel gives us a fuller, complete, abundant hope. And that comes with abundant joy. Abundant joy. And in January, we're going to start preaching and talking about that place called heaven. When the angels came to the people here in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the people had been burdened trying to keep the law. They've been keeping the law for their salvation. The Jewish people add tradition to law, so they had about 632 laws that they were trying to keep. And Jesus proclaimed freedom. He fulfilled the law lived the sinless life, died on the cross for our sins and rose again. This is good news of great joy. And this is for all people. A mother was having a gathering to celebrate the birth of her newborn son. She's having a little party. She just gave birth to a, a baby boy. It had been days, maybe weeks, let's say six weeks. And they're having a party celebrating the birth of her newborn son. They're all talking and they're eating and they're being festive and celebrating. And somebody said... Bring out your baby boy so we can see the baby boy. Bring out the baby boy. The mother went to get the baby from the crib. And he was nowhere to be found. She started to panic and feel fearful. Suddenly she remembered that the baby was still at her parents. Because she had left the baby there that morning. 
She and the guest had been having so much fun, they had forgotten what the party was about in the first place. The party was about the baby boy. During the Christmas season, many times we get so busy with celebrations and we forget the birth of Jesus Christ is the reason for the season. The birth of Jesus Christ is where our joy comes from. Jesus came and brought us good news of great joy for all people. I began this message with a bell. The bell sound comes from the clapper. And I'm sure some of you hear the bell sound and you think joy, and some of you think headache, and so I'll just stop doing that. But the bell sound comes from the clapper internally. The shaking, though, is what causes the clapper to make the noise and causes it to ring. Life can shake us up sometimes. Life can shake us up sometimes. But when our life is shaking, shaken, we may feel empty and lost and silent. But if we have Jesus in our heart, we can ring with joy from the inside. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, that's Jesus, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We can have wonderful joy because Jesus is within us. The Holy Spirit is within us. And let me ask you, is the Holy Spirit inside you? Romans 8, 9 says, if you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is within you. Do you know him? Are you committed to him as Lord and Savior? Have you confessed you're a sinner in need of a Savior? That means that we repent of our sins. Have you believed in Jesus as the one and only Savior? And also beyond that, are you trusting in him and are you committing to him? Those two last words, trust and commit. Um, times are the hardest, and we can rejoice with great joy that our Savior forgives us when we come back to him and say, I've strayed. But we do have to go back to him. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that we can experience your great joy this Christmas season because we are committed to you as our Lord and Savior. And for some of those present, I know they have to come back to you and say, they have strayed. We thank you, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for your great forgiveness. Lord God, if there's anyone here who has not experienced your great forgiveness, may today be the day to confess they're a sinner in need of a savior, to believe in you as the one and only savior, to trust in you and commit to you to firmly make the decision to be with you, live with you, in order to become like you, become like you, King Jesus, to learn and do all that you say and to arrange our affairs around you. Lord God, we face struggles and hardships in this life. We thank you for the joy from the Holy Spirit within us. Help us as we endeavor to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.